And we're live here at the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm joined by David Blue Garcia, the director hey. of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We both have it. Very nice. Very nice. I'm a huge fan. And not just because you're here. I was, a, I was a huge fan of your film. Of Tejano? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. I thought you meant my my original film that got me the the job of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I'll be honest. I I I'm a very bad host. I should have uh, sought this out and watched it. But uh, but I am going to because it it is cool when you watch um some a movie of somebody you like and you like it. And you're like, oh, I got to seek out this guy's other other uh, work. Yeah. Well, I only I only have the two movies so far, so it's not too hard to to do the research on me. <laughs> yeah. How did how did uh, how did Tiano uh, lead into getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Well, it was seen by the studio, you know, by Legendary, and um, you know, they thought I had a lot of promise as a filmmaker. Uh, I made Tejano for sixty thousand dollars, super scrappy with a tiny crew of eight people, and um, they just saw a lot of promise in me and, and thought that I could be handed something bigger and I would do something interesting with it. So. So when they come to you, you know, what do you think, right? Well, obviously it's a huge movie, but um, a huge franchise. Uh, so what are your thoughts? I mean, when they came to me, it was quite a shock. Um, it was just a, it was a huge opportunity that just kind of fell into my lap or it seemed to fall in my lap. Um, this was in 2020 uh, in the height of COVID. Uh, it was in July that I first started talking with Legendary, uh, actually about a different project altogether. And um, then it so happened that they had a parting of ways with the original directors of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they thought of me to, to come in and, and finish the project. Okay. Um, so it wasn't a really a conventional hire. You know, yeah. I came in and I, I had about a week and a half to prepare to direct this movie. Oh, well, that's not a lot of time, I assume. It's not a lot of time. So I'm pretty proud of what we were able to accomplish um, with so little, you know, prep on the film yeah. um, me and the cinematographer both came in really last minute um, and I, I think we did you know a really good job especially with the crew and you know a lot of the you know a lot of the decisions had been made you know the sets had been built and the the mask had been created um, so we didn't I didn't get a, a chance to really collaborate on some of those things but I think it was done really well and um, it was nice to be able to just pick up all those those tools and just run with it and see what we could do yeah so um I know you just said, so everything's built. The cast is, is set. Are there any changes that, you know, like, well, I would like to change this that you were able to. Yeah, there were so many. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, long Zoom calls with the producers, uh, with Fede Alvarez is one of the, you know, major, major creative voices on this film. Um, you know, he, he co-wrote the story and um, had a lot to say on the film, but we would get on these long zoom calls and just kind of discuss, we'd go through, we went through every page of that script, you know, and him kind of explaining where, where the script was going, what they were trying to do. And me, me also kind of pushing back where I, where I saw a fit where I was like, well, I don't really understand the motivation of this character here, you know? So like, I'd like to, you know, maybe change the scene a little bit and give them something else to do. Um, you know, so like, for instance, one of the examples is just that Lila, was kind of on the bus for a long sequence in the middle of the movie um, while 
um, her, her sister Melody is under the house. She's in the house. She's under the house running through the floorboards being chased by Leatherface and Lila's just sitting on the bus doing nothing, you know? So we were able to write this little sequence where she comes, she comes out of the bus looking for Melody and she ends up, you know, being able to rescue her. So, um, just giving characters things to do. Um, and it was able to delete some scenes, you know, because I had a kind of a limited schedule, mm-hmm. um, where I lost a week of shooting. Um, because of the way the director exchange happened. And so I wasn't getting those days back. So I needed to come up with ways to have enough time to get all the practical effects because, you know, we wanted to do the, the, the effects practical. We wanted to get the blood in camera. We wanted, but all that stuff takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to set up, takes a lot of time to shoot and then to reset. So I was like, well, how do I afford myself more time to do these kind of blood gags and things? Well, this scene doesn't really add much to the film. And I could actually see, uh, cutting that in the editing room. So we'll just cut it now, you know? And so I didn't have to film certain things that were in the script. That's interesting because I personally like the runtime of the movie. I think um, for the most part, a slasher film doesn't need to be like really long. Mm-hmm. You can get, you can get tired of it, honestly. Yeah. So I, and but I've actually had arguments with people about uh, your film online about the, the, uh, the runtime. So yeah, I that's think it actually worked for it. There's, there's no, there's no real like long version of this movie. Like my director's cut, the first cut we made was I think 90 minutes or 89 minutes, you know? And at one point we had this, we just, let's do, we're going to do a brutal cut. Let's just cut everything out. We had it down to under 70 minutes just to see what, how it worked, how it it played. Now that was too fast, you know? So we, we, we added some minutes back in. Um, But the thing about it is it doesn't feel short because it's so intense for so long, you know, once you, once you, the, once Leatherface is awakened and puts on the mask and comes to town, like it just keeps getting more and more intense. And so you can't keep an audience at that level for very long. Mm-hmm. Just, you got to end the movie pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Fede's other movie, uh, Don't Breathe is also pretty short, really short runtime. Yeah. Another great movie. The, uh, yeah. Now I assume you're a Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan of the other films yeah i definitely am i you know i i wouldn't say like i'm some super fan and i don't i'm I'm not like i don't know all the lore and everything but when i saw that first movie it freaked me out and it was it's one of those there's certain movies that you remember exactly where you were and the situation when you saw it for the first time and that's one of those movies for me so well what was the first time you saw it i saw it on cable tv when i was like in high school, maybe early high school. And it just, it was you know, one of those things where you just turn it on and the movie's playing and it was all right at the beginning of the movie, kids are in the van. I didn't understand what it was. I thought it was like a documentary. And it just, as soon as Leatherface appeared, it just scared me so much. I turned the TV off, you know, I was just like, I had to get away from it for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I turned it back on and finished the movie, but it was like so bizarre to me and uh, frightening. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny you mentioned the documentary because it's a movie I think plays better because um, I've seen it in an original 35 millimeter, millimeter print. On, it was really bad print of it, obvious, uh, honestly, on uh, at a local theater. And then I saw it the same theater restored, and I thought it actually took away the, the restoration because it was too bright. And there's something like gritty about the original one where it's like you're not supposed to be watching this. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, there's something. It's funny. I, I just had lunch with Kim Hinkle, uh, you know, the writer oh, of the original film. I just yeah, just saw him just a couple hours ago. And, you know, he was talking about how when they made the first one, they really they knew that there was going to be a lot of bad theatrical presentation, like because film prints get really dirty and, you know, and some they don't even clean the theater screens back in the 70s. Like the screens were all dirty and everything. So they when they made the film, they wanted it to to work no matter if the sound was working in the theater, if the picture was working, they just wanted to make a film that worked yeah. beyond all that. Yeah. So I, I don't think he gets enough credit, uh, Hinkle, because uh, people talk about, obviously Toby Hooper deserves a lot of credit, but people, a lot of people don't really talk about him unless you're, yeah, like, they were definitely a team and, and, you know, he was a huge creative force. Um, but, you know, Toby, of course is a master. So yeah, yeah. I, I saw that Hinkle is going to be doing a convention though. I think it's his first one, at least if he does not do many. He doesn't. And he did one uh, Frightmare Weekend. A couple that's, months yeah, ago. that's the most sick of Texas Frightmare. Another one, yeah. I went up there with him. <laughs> oh, he did. Oh, awesome. I've been to Texas Frightmare. I didn't get to go this time, but I was yeah. Uh, off top, well, kind of on top of it. Where's the best barbecue in Texas? Oh, uh, you know, I haven't been all over Texas. I haven't had all Texas the barbecue. Texas is very big. It's like I haven't had all the barbecue here, but I've. Um, there's a really a small town close to Austin called Lockhart, which is famous for its barbecue and it's got a couple of different places kreutz's smitty's and blacks and depending on who you are you'll swear by one of the three you know so usually when i ask that everyone says not dallas it's austin is the uh is mm-hmm. the best barbecue so, i like to eat so was john larquette already involved in uh you know when you take over no that was still being negotiated so while i was on set uh shooting the movie they kept whispering in my ear you know oh we're, we're talking with john you know he's he's interested and and i was just like great you know, keep doing that <laughs> like but i never had to personally make a call to him or anything that they they were able to bring him on uh the producers are able to bring him on on their own you know yeah. so and it was a pleasure to work with them so. yeah it's a really cool one because we've seen um you know other other um texas chainsaw massacre alumni come back but it never john larroquette so that was very cool yeah, and he's just he was just so amused that this gig, the, one of his first Hollywood gigs he ever did 50 years ago, essentially, is still going to this day. He's just like, you know, thought that was so funny. Yeah, and you never know how uh, people like that uh, will take to it because there are some people who don't want to even mention that they've been involved in horror movies and then some people mm-hmm. think it's cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, did you? Would you like to... Um, have included any of the other like uh, former alumni of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, it'd be really interesting to, to do something with like the hitchhiker, you know, um, yeah. um, whom, whom I've met the actor and, and uh, you uh, know. I'm actually, I know him fairly well. And the name is escaping me at the moment, but uh, yeah. it's a, I know John Dugan really well, really good friends with John Dugan, but uh, yeah, we all know who he is, but I'm going to look it up right now. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> Edward, Ed, Ed Neal, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be really fun to bring him back into the, to the fray. See yeah, what see what do. he's up to. Mm-hmm. He's a very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Ed Neal and, and, and The Hitchhiker. Now, I know that there's uh, sequels. They've said sequels are coming. Are you going to be involved in those? Um, yeah, I mean, I can be, I, we're, you know, <laughs> depends on the idea, you know, I have to, 
you know, it's like got to get to find the right, the right take, the right idea, you know, something that really makes sense. And, and we'll see, we'll jump on that, you know, yeah. um, I, well, we haven't, just, like we it, haven't really decided on a direction yet, like yeah. where, what it's going to be. I mean, we, we can kind of do anything really. I mean, mm-hmm. we can continue telling this, this story, um, or continue in this modern era, or we can, we can actually jump back into the somewhere else that's, in the timeline, you know? So that's interesting. That's, you know, we've seen that with uh Pearl, the Pearl and Maxine. And I think that's a really, uh, uh, cool take on a movie where you can jump around the timeline and then see where we are. Right. Yeah, create more of the lore, you know, like what what happened to Leatherface during all these years and what's been going on with the family, you know. Yeah. The thing about the way to like you said, there's no canon with these, there's no canon with this franchise. It's just all over the place. So you can really kind of do pick and choose and do what you want. Yeah. Along those lines, and when you did, you know, you get involved, obviously it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so that's cool. But what about what about this particular project interested you though? Like when you read the script? Well, I, mean, I, I literally had zero choice. I had to take the job. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, think, think about it. Think about this. You know, I'm sitting in, in Austin in 2020 in August, and I'm not working much because it's COVID. And they offer you a Hollywood movie. You're like, of course, you're going to take the job. You know. Um, and when, when I read the script, the thing I noticed the most was like how how fast it moved, and how much. Um, action there was and how much suspense storytelling and the, and the set pieces, you know, I, I really liked that. I really dug that. I mean, the stuff that stood out obviously was like melody under the floorboards kind of being pursued by the saw and then um, the bus scene, which was just like a great climax and like the first massacre that we've probably seen in this franchise. And I just thought, man, how are we going to do that? You know, it's such a fun logistical filmmaking challenge to have to tackle those those sequences because it is in a small area too super small area very claustrophobic the movie starts big and it just kind of squeezes and gets tighter and tighter into these little tiny spaces and i just like that the script you know didn't waste too much time and maybe it should have spent a little more time developing the characters but i like how it just throws you right into the world you know and then as soon as the the hammer comes down it just like the pressure stays on And I thought that was going to be a really fun challenge to work with. Um, And it was definitely a logistical challenge to try to handle all these sequences and um, just in filming them. Uh, It's just so many problem solving kind of moments um, that was that filmed actually in a small bus. So like, how how do you go about doing that? Yeah, the bus. So we had, um, we had one real bus, which was, I know some kind of Russian bus or something like that. Uh, this double decker thing. All right. And we, we, we shot that as exteriors. And then we shot in the front of that bus. And then we built a set on a stage that actually had the entire interior recreated just a little bit wider, um, bigger scale. So we can move cameras in there and, and have a few more extras in there comfortably. Um, by the way, it was not comfortable, but you know, the idea is to be, make it a little more comfortable and uh you know so we filmed most of that sequence in, in a sta- on a stage mm-hmm. um you know and i did things like i just we fogged out the windows so that it looked like you know on a hot texas night if it's raining and you're inside a bus you pr- all the windows are going to be fogged with condensation and stuff like that so that sort of obscured the out- the outside mm-hmm. uh you don't have to worry about you know a green screen or anything like that yeah, yeah. Pepe Potit says uh, the bus scene was brutal and he loved it now I do want to bring up because there there are people I know on social media who did not like the busting even in the in the trailer, 
and uh, I will honestly, my opinion, people who are, are not going to like, you know, there's always going to be people. Who oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one in particular, I thought was weird because they said that that made the movie woke, which I would think it was the opposite because the, he's actually killing the. Uh, yeah, the, I think you're I think you're right. I think if if you're anti woke, then you will enjoy seeing the woke people get killed by Leatherface right. because Leatherface doesn't care. He is he's just he's in his own world. And his world has not really changed in 50 years. I mean, he's kind of been living in seclusion as orphanage and he kind of comes out and he gets onto this bus. He sees all these people with these little cell phone devices. He's probably never seen before mm-hmm. and the blue lighting and the, the, the hip hop music. And he just kind of takes a look at it and he's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just going to kill everyone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at you guys. Uh-huh. So I, I just, I thought, Yes, it is played for a little bit of humor, and that's sort of something that I brought to that scene. Um, you know, you can blame me. I brought the whole thing with everyone raising the cell phones up and filming yeah. him. But, you know, I just thought of, like, that's what people do. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's what people do. I see videos where there's a bear attacking a tour group, and everyone is just standing there filming like a dummy. And right. the bear's coming. Yeah. People people think that they're protected by the phones and they're not. <laughs> right. If and you're looking, th- yeah, you're looking through the lens. You know, it's not real. Yeah, but that is that is the humor, right? It's right. dark humor. So you know, if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, that's what we did. <laughs> well, I mean, the second movie obviously is very overtly uh, comedic, but I think there's a lot of yeah. dark humor in the in the original film too, even though it is a very dark. Movie. You're, you're right about that, and that was intentional. Um, Kim just today was telling me, you know, him and Toby they thought a lot of that stuff was really funny. Uh, they, they were trying to make, make jokes and, and people didn't really get it because of the rawness at first, how raw the filmmaking was. And then over time, people started to see the humor and how absurd that first movie is too. Yeah. A lot of stuff with, with the cook, which I think is, he's probably my, I think the most underrated of the family because mm-hmm. a great performance. And there's a lot of little, just funny things in poking the girl with the stick and yeah. 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 Maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I, I found it funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's uh fuzzball production says super happy to see david on the show keep up the great work and uh, so what, yeah. what are you working on currently uh i can't talk too much about it but i did i did write a movie last year and um was able to sell it and you know developing that oh, cool. as something I'll, I'll direct as well um so it's like in the horror sci-fi space and it's also Texas themed. It's sort of inspired by my upbringing on the South Texas, Mexico border. Um, so it's, uh, it's a little bit more up my alley and it just continues my tradition of making Texas movies because I made a fir- one called Tejano, which just means Texan, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in this one. So we'll just keep going with that. Theme. I didn't know what to handle, to handle that, but not now. I know. Yeah. Uh, speak of South Texas. I know, um, did Tejano play um, South Texas Underground Film Festival stuff? It did, yeah. In Corpus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know the the, the family that runs it, uh, Mariella and, and Robert Perez, and their son Elvis was very cool. And so um, you said, because I, I was going to ask, like, how, do you, how important do you think festivals are to a filmmaker? And since you said, you know, that got you uh, to do this, I assume they are important for you. Yeah, I mean, te- it, it depends on the kind of film um that you make right now and it depends on who you meet at the festival really right um, you know and i did enjoy my time touring with tejano i think it played at least 20 festivals and i went to quite a few of them and i think it was important to be able to 
to see that movie with audiences and to do the Q and A's and to discuss, I mean, it made me learn a lot about, first of all, talking about movies and also seeing how the movie I made influenced people and how, what, you know, what they took away from it. I thought that was a really great learning experience. I, I also got to meet a lot of other great filmmakers and, and festival programmers and people, but ultimately I did sell the movie outside of my festival connections. Okay. So in the end, it didn't really matter all the festivals did, but I I do appreciate, um, you know, premiering at the Dallas international film festival won the audience award. Um, and that really helped us kind of, you know, maybe helped us get the sales agent that took the film. So, yeah, I I do think uh, meeting people, like you said, and you get to collaborate with people is something, uh, you never know who you're going to meet and, you know, down the road, they might hire you or, or have some project that they want to work with you on, you know? So, yeah. So uh, you mentioned, you know, um, the Leatherface doesn't care. And in our uh, video review I do with uh, my friend Annabelle, we do dinner in a movie and we review movies over dinner, hence the name dinner. And uh, she actually said the same thing was that, mm-hmm. that, that there is a there is some like social political commentary in the movie because you have the people kind of at odds where it is um, more the, the progressive people. Then you have people that are more set in their ways. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like it, it, Leatherface didn't care because they're, they're all going to die anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's so true. And you have these interesting ironies, too, that come out where this school shooting uh, survivor and these two girls who hate guns mm-hmm. end up having to use a gun at the end to defeat Leatherface. And, and so what is that really saying? I mean, it's kind of like an anarchic viewpoint on things. You know, it's uh, it's it's I mean, it's, it's the script has some really uh, subversive kind of ideas. And I think yeah. I even like, you know, because the police stop stop him and they right away think you know, the black guy is like uh, maybe he's a criminal or something. But then those same people uh, are guilty of that themselves when when they meet other people. They meet like the maybe guy that would be considered redneck or they meet the old woman mm-hmm. and just immediately think she's, you know, staying there. And I also like that you never really know if um, if that's her house or not. Yeah, everyone has prejudices, you know, and no one's perfect. That's what I like about the film is I think the the the, the young millennials, uh, the entrepreneurs, you know, they, they make mistakes, too, mm-hmm. by assuming something about Richter or by assuming something about Mama, the old lady uh, who lives at the house. And 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 just these are the kind of mistakes that lead to the plot of the film, you know, which is angering Leatherface. Yeah. Uh, and awakening him. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, uh, Mark Berman is Leatherface. And I said, I assume he was already cast as Leatherface. He was, yes. Uh, what was he like to work with, though? I mean, it was just so great to meet someone who had already done all the preparation and 